Thank you, ladies. Fantastic, as always. Um, if you've got a Bible, would you grab it, please? I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Colossians, and we'll be there in just a minute. Happy New Year to you. I hope you've had a, a, a good New Year, good Christmas. Many of you saw last week uh, uh, as we uh, brought a closing to the year. I cannot believe it's 2024. I, I've, I've only written 2023 about 10 times since then, but that's okay. Um, man, I'm excited. New Year, fresh start. Uh, baptism last week, baptism this week. Uh, I wasn't prepared. I should have worn goggles, baptizing Tyler, because he was all in, and I got quite, kind of backsplashed, and I got some in my face, but that's okay. Uh, but I'm excited about what God's going to do today. Um, we started a series, a series last week called Turning Points. And the idea of turning points was, was maybe from my heart to yours was something relatively simple for me, and maybe I needed that, was this idea in this new year, so often we look to resolutions or things I need to start, things I need to stop, things I need to do differently, and those are fantastic, and there's nothing fundamentally wrong with them. But the Lord is going to convict me and challenge me a little bit about what about if we could land on these fundamental truths that could literally be turning points, like moments of history, moments in a movie, this decisive change would take place, not solely because we try to manipulate or to bring change or do things or don't do things, but because of our profound relationship and love for Jesus. Um, and so that's where this started. I'm going to be honest with you, I, I kind of landed on this, and I thought about doing it through, New, through, the, through January. It's kind of an open-ended. We may just keep going. I don't know. Uh, but we're going to go through January and look at this. Today, we're going to look at this uh, scriptures in Colossians chapter 2 uh, about what it means to be complete in Jesus. Um, and so uh, I'm going to ask that you stand, if you would, please. We're going to read our text. I'm going to focus on 6 through 15, but I'd like to read 1 through 15 for context. Um, there's a blue hardback Bible in front of you. It'll be on uh, the screen as well. But let's read 1 through 15, chapter 2 of Colossians. We'll pray together, and let's see what God has for us this morning. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all of you who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may encourage, that they may encourage in heart and be united in love, so that they may have all the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that you may, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For although I am absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in the spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Verse 6. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised and putting off the old sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by, by men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, and he canceled the written code with its regulations that against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, 
nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed all the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's pray together. If you would just take a moment. Uh, if you're visiting with us this week, we do this, this every Sunday. Uh, just a moment for you to be still, to relax, take a deep breath, uh, reflect on where you are with the Lord, ask God to do something in your heart. Uh, if for some reason maybe your heart is, is kind of struggling, maybe your mind is wandering, maybe you're maybe wrestling with some things, just ask him to give you focus. And if you're willing, ask him to change you and do something great today. If you don't mind, would you say a prayer for me that I would speak what he'd have for us all today? <clears throat> God, it's a joy to be here today. We thank you for what we've already been able to accomplish today by honoring you with songs, singing songs to you, singing songs about you, uh, to honor you through baptism as a symbol of a life that the dead is gone and the new has been raised to live a new life with Tyler. And Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us, and we can celebrate that today. And help us, help me, help all of us who are willing to put ourselves against the scriptures and maybe have a turning point in our life, not just trying to fabricate things and do things or stop or start things, but to truly rest and really honestly challenge ourselves to see, are we complete, satisfied, content with you? Help us in that today, Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I said something back uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was when I was preaching through the book of John. I made a statement, and it wasn't my statement. It was something that I ran across that said this, basically. Um, what you believe Excuse me, what you, what you uh, b truly believe about Jesus, what you think about him, what you truly believe in him, it's going to dictate how you live. What I mean by that is, is if you believe Jesus to be a moral teacher, there's some good principles, there's some good things from the Bible you can learn. If you can try to do a little bit more good, do a little less bad, you're going to live a moral life and you're going to try to do your part and you're going to try to create things that are going to help you along that journey. If you believe that Jesus is kind of like, ah, he's kind of out there, kind of that's okay, I'm not real sure, then nothing of your life's going to reflect that. If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and he is who he is, and he did what he said he did, and he accomplished for you what he accomplished, then our lives would reflect that and want to live in gratitude for all that he's done. I say that because... This is what Paul's wrestling with, and he's talking to this church that's kind of battling these false teachers. There's an old statement, a quote from C.S. Lewis that you probably heard this before. It's not a new one, but he talked about how people have to reconcile, because there was a time in the 50s, and C.S. Lewis tried to really push back against this, where people just tried to reduce Jesus to just a moral teacher. He's just a kind of a good old boy, good teacher, good principles, good things to apply to your life. But listen to what he says. He says, you must make a choice. This is on the screen. Either this man, Jesus, was the son of God or else a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come at him with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. What, what, what Lewis was pushing back, now stay with me on this, Lewis is pushing back against this idea of human beings trying to reduce Jesus from the Godhead, Trinity, this God in the flesh, 
Lord of all creation into a human teacher that's just going to give you a little things to follow. Now, this may create a little tension. You may or may not agree with this, but sometimes in the Christian culture, in our 2024, I almost said 23, we kind of can live that way if we're not careful. We can reduce the King of kings and the Lord of lords to a good teacher that's going to give us some principles to live by. And so let's just try to do better at those things, right? That's the point that we're wrestling with today. And, and you don't have to turn there, but if you have your Bibles, flip back to Colossians 1. If not, it's on the screen, but we're right there. Flip back a page, or maybe it's on the same page. I want you to see what, what, what Paul does in context before we walk through our main text. Look at chapter 1, look at verse 15. Right before we just read the text that I'm going to preach on, look at what he says. He's going to make a very clear point. Look at what he says. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for in him... All things were created, things on heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He keeps going. Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head over the body, which is the church, and he is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, hear that, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood which was shed on the cross. Question for you, you don't have to answer it out loud. Knowing the text that I'm about to walk through, why does Paul go at such great lengths to articulate to this church Jesus is not just a good man. He's not, well, he's a good teacher, but that's not all. He, he is God. He is deity. He is God. Paul says all of God is in him, dwelling in him, and everything about him was to reconcile you to God the Father by the shedding of his blood. I say that because just like C.S. Lewis, and this idea of allowing Jesus to be something other than God in the flesh that came to ransom and redeem all of us, we cannot reduce him into something else. Do you know why I said that also when I look at this verse? It helps remind me of the magnificence of Jesus. Is it possible, I'm kind of reading my own mail here, is it possible sometimes as we study and as we read that we can kind of yawn at this, like, Jesus, born of a virgin, came to earth, died for my sins, died on the cross for my sins. It kind of comes a story. It becomes something we just want to teach and apply it to our lives when it's convenient. But I ask you this question, as it kind of washes over us, do we get acclimated to it? In light of this, this is where we get to our text today. I'm going to pick up in verse 6, but this is why in the first five verses in 1 through 5, Paul's using this language of care and concern. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. I'm concerned about you. I want to encourage you. I want you to grasp all of this riches of who Jesus is. Don't yawn at him. Don't get bored with him. Don't allow these other false teachers, which is happening, to reduce Jesus to something else, and you buy into it, hook, line, and sinker. I think it's important, look at verse 6 as we start, and the reason I wanted to read the, the, the whole first part of this, these guys are doing good. Let me be clear, Paul's not addressing a problem. Hey, you guys are, you're falling off the wagon here, whatever that even means. You guys, you guys are struggling. No, he said, your, your faith is strong and it is secure. But you know what he said? He goes, 
there's always a chance. Now, don't look around in the room, but anybody know somebody that's following Jesus and sometimes they fall off the wayside, they struggle? You can look up here. I do that. Paul is not addressing a critical issue that's taking place. He's addressing something that he doesn't want to take place. He doesn't want these guys that are firm in the faith to yawn and get acclimated and bored with Jesus or to believe a lie that's not according to who he is. So look at verse 6 in your Bibles, if you will. Let's walk through this together. In a lot of this, Paul says, So then, just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He's urging these people to realize that following Christ, it's more than just a spiritual conversion. I've said, I tried to address that the last two weeks on our baptism. It's not just trying to make a decision, let's go back to life. He says, just as you've received him, and if you know Christ as Lord, hear this. Just as you've received Jesus, he says, to continue to live your lives in him. Can I ask you a question? Are you, am I, do we live in him? And he uses language about being rooted, being built up, being strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And he's talking to these guys. He hadn't been there yet. He hadn't been to the church in Colossae. It was planted by a guy named Epaphras. He's heard of good stories. He wrote them a letter. The Apostle Paul writes this to encourage them. He sees these challenges, these false teachers that are trying to pull the people from the church to believe things that aren't true. And he knows and sees their strength in their faith. And he says, I want you to continue Continue to press on, rooted and built up like a tree, firmly planted by the water, built up with a strong foundation, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Parents in the room, if you have kids growing up, some that are coming back, some are in college, some of them are doing whatever, some of them are still little, this is what we want, right? We want our kids to know Christ and we want to know when there's a point of their life where they've got to make their own decisions that sometimes they make their own good, bad, whatever, but we want them to, to fall back on what they've been taught. We want them to fall back on the, on the foundation of faith that they've been raised in and, and, and hopefully been modeled what it means to believe in Jesus. And, and hear the parental language here. Paul's like, I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be in, 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 rooted and built up just as you've been taught. Think back to when it started. And he wants them to be overflowing with gratitude. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Guys, I want you to remember, paraphrase, I want you to remember like it was when you first believed. And I said it earlier about this, this idea of getting comfortable. It's like, somebody, it's like in, your, in your marriage. It's like in your, your relationship. That I hope over the course of our life that we, we don't fall out of love with our, our spouse, that hopefully we still love them the way that we did when we first started. Like a marriage that's deep in love, obvious, but maybe it's turned into maybe a kind of coexistence and just kind of routines of life and and sometimes that illustration can be looking like our spiritual life with Jesus. That's why we pray. This is kind of off the record here. Well, on the record. I, I was reading this morning that those who come to faith at a younger age, I read a statistic this morning, said that 77% of everybody who comes to faith in Jesus does so before the age of 18. 
I mean, let that sink in again. <laughs> 77% of anybody who comes to faith does so before the age of 18. So if you think moms, dads, parents, you know, that what we do in these time when we have our kiddos to, to model and, and prioritize the church, teach and preach and model and show them, yeah, statistically there's a window. <laughs> it's important. And so you look at this, this urgency, just like us as parents, we want our kids to come to faith in Christ. We want this, Paul's wanting these guys to hold fast to this. Think back to when you were raised and how you were taught and the faith that you had. Remember when you received Christ as Lord, when you were brought from death to life. Stay rooted, stay strengthened in that faith. Can I ask you this question? Does that describe you? Now don't settle in. I'm going to step on your toes. It's been stepping on my toes all day, but I'm not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. Just want to throw it out there. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? If you're, a, if you're a follower, if you're not, then this is not for you. I've got something else for you. Today could be that day. But if you have given your life to Christ Jesus, my question is this. Do we find ourselves getting very kind of comfortable, almost in a lazy relational marriage where it's just like, yeah, we've been married for 25, 30 years, and just kind of, we just kind of do life? Or is it because you're still overwhelmed out of gratitude for what he has done? He has redeemed me. He has saved me. What I deserved was death, and he took that death for me. And the rest of my life, at the end of verse 7, you see it, is overflowing with thankfulness. That's why Paul puts it there. I don't know about you, but that challenges my soul. Look at verse 8. We'll keep going. He says this, as a result of this, see to it. Do whatever it takes. Whatever you got to do, see to it that no one takes you captive Look at the descriptive words here, if you like words, I do. Through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces rather than on Jesus. Paul uses a military term, captive. He's using that language like being taken prisoner. He says, don't be taken prisoner, don't be taken captive through, look at your Bible, what are the two descriptive things he says about these things in the world? He calls them two things, hollow What's the other one? Anybody help me out? It's on the screen or on your Bible. Hollow and what? Deceptive. Would you agree? Would you agree that there are things in this world that are empty, hollow, and there are things that are deceptive that would, the enemy would love to get you to buy into? Would you agree with that? We don't, have to, we don't have to articulate all the different things, but you would agree that there are things out there, even for you moms and dads and parents, that want to sway your kids to think, is this Jesus really the only thing? He says, you got to be careful. you got to be aware. These human traditions, any non-Christian understanding, theory, philosophy, they're out there. I don't have time to unpack all that. Element, elemental spiritual forces, these pagan influences, these non-Christian influences, excuse me. Anything that's not according to Christ, these false teachers, and he talks about this taking you captive. It's this, in the Greek language, it's used for plundering ships. It's like to really destroy and to plunder a ship. That's what he says, don't, don't do that. Don't be taken captive. Don't be taken prisoner to the, the hollow and deceptive things out there other than Jesus. It's so easy for myself at the top of the list, maybe for you as well, to find our hearts captivated by other things. Maybe we've been persuaded or enticed to follow words or lifestyles or hobbies or habits or things that we think that are okay that can lure us into a, an incompleteness, if you will. I 
or this idea of moral relativism, which means you just kind of live how you want and claim Jesus at the same time. You see, that's part of our world today where there's not really an absolute truth. You just kind of claim Christ, live how you want. It'll all flush out in the end. In the end, God loves everybody. Everybody's going to get there at some point. Just the train's coming. Just hop on it. Pick your, pa- pick your path. No. Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But the call on those who are followers of him are to devote themselves fully and wholly. What a, what a, what a paradigm change, church. What a, what a turning point, if you will, if, if I or if we can... Start there and not buy into the lie that the world wants to feed us. Look at verse 9. He's going to remind us of, uh, again, and this is the, 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 where the title comes from for the sermon about being complete in Christ. And I want to hit home on this for just a minute. Look at verse 9. For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in godly form. Jesus is fully God. Fully God, fully man. That's what he says. Verse 10. This is important. And in Christ, you, David, put your name in it, you have been brought to fullness, or made complete, depending on your translation. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You have been made complete. He is the head over every power and every authority. You know, when something is brought to fullness, I've said this before, I think, if I was to pour water in a cup, Fill it to the very, very top. It's, really, it's full. What a great little chilling sermon if we'd have had that today. There's no room for anything else. You're full. You're made complete. There's no room for anything else. That's what it means to be brought to fullness. Made complete. That's what Paul's trying to say. He's enough. He's sufficient. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. But, and then at the end of that, he puts a period, but then there's a little sentence at the, in verse, verse 10 that's kind of random. As if to say that's not enough, but he comes back again. He says, Jesus is the head over every power and every authority. Rhetorically speaking, why do you think Paul keeps hammering that back again? He says, you've been, in Jesus, all the fullness of the, uh, of the deity lives. Jesus is fully God, and in Christ you've been made to fullness, Period. He's the head over every power and authority. So why is Paul trying to remind these guys over and over of the mightiness and the power and the sovereignty, any big words I can think of, and the authority of Jesus? Why do you think that's the case? Could it be that maybe he's trying to shake them up and be like, this is the God of the universe we're talking about. Don't reduce him into something that he was never created to be. He's the head over every power. Jesus in Matthew 20 says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Two times in John, it's on the screen. John 10, he says, whenever they were about to kill him, he says, Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to bring it back up. In John 19, 11, Jesus says, You have no power over me if it were given to you not from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Even when they were about to crucify and torture Jesus, he tells them, you are not in control. When it comes to you, think of what Paul's trying to do this morning. Even on this first Sunday of the new year, imagine just such a turning point if we can just grasp onto this. Is he enough? Is he enough for you? 
had a conversation with my, my really good friend, Tiny. He's a pastor in Lubbock, and we were talking, and he told me I could share the story. And he had a really big surgery about a month, six, seven weeks ago, really massive surgery. I don't have the time to get into details, but he's been laid up for uh, basically since then. Um, he had people that would go visit him and talk with him and things like that. And one of our mutual friends, I'm not really close with him, but he lives in Denver City still. Um, he drove up to go see him and talk to him, went by his house. Um, he wasn't really able to drive around a whole lot, so he went to talk to him. And I found out about this. Tiny told me this conversation, and um, he was talking to Tiny, and Tiny's a little bit older than me, you're older than me, never been single, never been married, uh, and this other guy was as well. And it was interesting, he told me this, and they had this conversation, and they talked about life, talked about Denver City, talked about growing up in high school, talked about all these things, and then all of a sudden, Tiny told me he dropped a question on him, and it kind of came out of nowhere, like literally nowhere. They're talking about food, hey, you want to grab some food, let's talk about high school, and then he says, hey, do you ever wish you were married? Tiny's like, maybe, I don't know. He goes, do you ever... <laughs> like, it's like two dudes talking, bro. Like, that's what we're just, I thought we we're hanging out. Um, and, but then he kind of, Tiny was like, hold on, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, do you ever feel like at the, when you get older, like you're going to have anybody take care of you? Like, nobody, you're going to be by yourself. Both single. And Tiny thought about it for just a minute, and he was like, eh, okay. And, and he said, I'm going to paraphrase. He said, well, actually, can I, can I say this? Not because I'm a pastor. He said, but I have Jesus, and I honestly, that's enough. The conversation closed really quickly, but it was an opportunity for him to pour, because here's the thing. That is an example. I thought about that over the break, and I knew when I was preaching on this text, and the, and the Lord just kind of reminded me of that, of that conversation of those two men, because it's a good example, be it marriage, be it children, be it health, be it money, be it the job, the next on the ladder, the next thing, whatever it could be, that's going to make you feel, okay, I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm complete. I know many people that, in fact, it, 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 through heartbreak, I just want to get married. The window's closing, or I want to have children. I, wanna, I need to get a job. And you know, parents are like, I need my kids to get a job. I'm just kidding. It's, it's all these things that are going on. But can I ask you this question? Can I turn, turn it on you? What, what's it for you? What's it going to be for you to say, Jesus is enough, is it comma, as long as I'm married, got kids, bank account's good, job's okay, things are well? I struggle with that. Me and Jesus are good, comma, as long as. You could probably fill in the blank for something that's for you, just maybe the person next to you is not even thinking about. But the rhetorical question of the day, it's really not even a rhetorical question, it's something I just want to just throw out there just to land on all of this is, if we can be made complete in him, my question for all of us is, are we? And if not, why? What, what does it take or what's it going to take? Because what if the thing that we're waiting for never comes through? What if a friend Tiny waits and he never gets married? He never finds the one or whatever. Is he still complete? Well, according to his testimony, as long as he's got Jesus, he's okay. This is who we are in Jesus. As I close, I look at 11 through 15. I, I love this because he says, hey, church, you've been complete. 
You've got everything you need in him. He is sufficient. He is enough. But then I love the focus on the gospel at the end of this. Look what he says. In Christ, look at verse 11. You're also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, but your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Paul uses circumcision metaphorically to show the spiritual transformation that takes place in Jesus as Christians are removed from their, their lineage and the, the line of Adam and, and the sin and death, and they're brought from death to life. Now from, from the line of Adam into the line of Jesus, we're, we're born again, made alive in Christ. All of us that are in Christ have done it. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, I told Tyler this morning, I said I, I had this already picked out, and it's just a very relative text. I think it's fantastic for today, not just for baptism, but also for all of us. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were raised through him in the faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins and he canceled the charge of the legal, and, uh, the legal code which stood against you and condemned you. He's taken it away and he nailed it to the cross and he has disarmed all the powers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, excuse me, triumphing them over the cross. As a follower of Jesus, when you come to faith in Jesus, you're not just a better version of your old self. Scripture tells us, according to Ephesians 2, you brought from death to life. We symbolize that with a baptism. The old is gone and the new has come. That Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. I don't care if you're an adult or if you're a child that gets baptized. This journey begins of following Christ in our, our failures and our weaknesses. We come to him. He is sufficient. He is enough for us. We are made complete. And we don't have to have anything else. The fill in the blank for you can remain empty and we can still be And if you remember verse 7 when he says, overflowing with gratitude, this is why. Made alive in Christ, you were dead in sin. The debt has been canceled. He took them all. He nailed them to the cross. He died the death that you and I deserve. He paid the penalty for us. I don't know about you, and I don't know what your year was like and what 24 is going to have for us, but I can tell you this. The challenge this morning on a simple Sunday morning in Olton, Texas is this, is that if we, if I can look at him and hear this, this is more than just, if I can savor him above all things, it will change not only you, but it's going to change your life. I said it earlier, what you, what you believe about Jesus is going to flesh out in how you live. It does, it's just natural. If he is the God of the universe, deity, full in the flesh, and he came and he took on my sin, my death, what I deserve, he took it on him. And I can be made complete and I can be fully satisfied in him. Why would I go looking for anything else? Maybe today could be that turning point for you. Would you pray with me? Before we sing, I just want to give you a moment uh, just to pray and we'll be done. Abraham, Babri, I just want to give you a moment just to pray and just wrestle. It's okay if there's things that come to mind. Maybe, maybe God is stirring your heart a little bit. Maybe there's things, if you're like me, that sometimes me and God are good, comma, as long as. And maybe that's where you start and just say, God, help me not be an as long as kind of person. Help me to be 
satisfied, complete in you no matter what. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then ask his spirit to, to affirm that in you and to reveal that to you. And if you don't know Jesus today, maybe this is kind of falling on you, it's kind of fresh, it's kind of new, you know a lot about him, but you've never committed your life and followed him. I want you to know that that's how much he loves you. The death that you deserve, that you will, your sins are not taken care of because you're going to have to take care of them yourself because you've not given your life to Christ. Today could be the day of salvation. Come talk to me, find a friend, find a family member, say, I want to give my life to Christ. I, I want to follow him. Something's stirring inside of me. And maybe God's stirring something in your, in your heart today about things, maybe plugging in, maybe finding a Bible study, maybe getting back in the Word. All those things that are fantastic, all of these things that can sometimes be things we do as resolutions, and they're fantastic and they're great. Please press on and do those things. But let's start at the beginning. Is He enough? Because if He is, you're going to want to, not have to. You're going to desire to, not feel like you should. So would you just pray for just a minute? Praise team's going to start playing and singing. Um, just take this couple of minutes. When you're ready to stand and sing, feel free to. If I could pray with you or if Dev could pray with you, please come on down. But just take a moment before we get back to the busyness of life. This is your time.